As many of you know, yesterday we had a men's day. It wasn't sponsored by the church, but a lot of the men here came, other people, and some of the, uh, and uh, really it couldn't have happened except a few of the women in the church here stepped up, and I guess they're just trying to straighten us men out somehow. They were really intent on that, so they really pitched in and made me do this whole thing, but 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 it was a day that we spent yesterday listening to uh, other men from other preachers from the area talk about being a man. And it was based upon this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So I thought that since I didn't invite myself to speak, that I would invite myself to speak today about that, at least a little bit about this subject, because it's been on my mind. And and I didn't give the speakers in this in this seminar a lot of direction. I let I showed them the passage we wanted to talk about, gave them a topic, and they did what they were going to do about that. Now let's just read what the scriptures say, and it's an unusual and odd kind of verse. It's not talked about very much, but I think it's a very important one for us to consider today. And that is in First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verses thirteen and fourteen. Now normally I read from the New King James version up here. But I'm not doing that now, and I'll show you why in just a moment. Paul says here to the Corinthians, the whole church, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So he tells the men and women of the church to act like men. Now you got to chew on that for a while. We'll try to do a little bit of that this morning. What does that mean? Because we're told today in our society... Well, when I say the word masculinity to you, what's the next word that pops in most of your minds? Yeah, yeah. Toxic. That's the word. Toxic is the word because we've been inundated in recent years with the idea yeah, that masculinity is toxic. Being a male is a bad thing. And all we ever hear is men and males and especially cisgendered males and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't buy into that terminology. But we always hear about how bad and toxic that is. And, um, boy, there's a lot I want to say about that, and we'll uh, from time to time. But I, 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 I reject that thinking, not because I'm a toxic male, because I don't think that I am. And you can talk to all the females in my family. I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded and live with so much estrogen. It's a wonder, you know, uh, I can function. Well, how many I did with seven females? I live with seven females in the house by myself most of the time. So it's a wonder I can even survive without crying or whatever. In any event, the Bible does not, the reason I reject that kind of thinking, and there's a lot to it, is not because I'm a toxic male. It's because the Bible doesn't speak of men that way. The Bible doesn't present that view of the world. That women are good and men are bad. You know, if I if I stand here today, and I've done this before, if I stand here today and make this statement, men are women are not better than men. Hear me say that? Women are not better than men. Some of you, I've seen audiences react to that. Christian audiences react to that. What do you mean? Women are obviously better than men. Really? Where would I go in the Bible to find that idea? Just where would I go in God's word to find that idea that women are better than men? Well, they're more sensitive. Well, men can be sensitive, but men are sensitive like men are sensitive, and women are sensitive like women are sensitive. See, all the qualities you can mention, sensitivity, compassion, anger, all those things 
There's a way that pride, oh, men are much more proud than women. I don't buy that at all. Not even close. In fact, it may be the other way. It's just that female pride looks different than male pride. Female compassion looks different than male compassion. But we've been swallowed up in this whole concept since the late 60s, early 70s, with the first wave feminism, and it's the idea that women are better than men. I don't believe it because the Bible doesn't teach it. This is a place where you have to have faith in what God says and not what you're hearing all the time from other people. Do you believe what God says about it? That's all I can ask you about a lot of things. So what does it mean here when he tells the whole church, act like a man, act like men? Well, it means something, and we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. You know, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I know some of you hate when I quote C.S. Lewis, and that's why I'm going to keep doing it. That's toxic masculinity for you. But uh, in the book, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this mysterious figure called Aslan. You don't have to read the book. But he turns out to be a figure of Christ or a type of Christ in the book, if you read the whole story. And he is a lion. One reason you got a lion on here, much less the lion of Judah and so forth. But you got a lion here. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, when confronted by the idea of Aslan, the lion, who is the picture of Jesus, Lucy, one of the young girls in the story, is, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. Mr. Tunnel says, he's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. And I think C.S. Lewis is exactly right about Jesus Christ. He is not a sissified, effeminate, tame lion. He is the lion of Judah. But he also comes in God by God's will as a man into the world, not a woman or not an androgynous figure. He comes as a man to save the world. But he's not a tame lion. And you know the idea that Jesus, but he says this, and we've talked about this at length other times, I am meek and lowly in heart. He says, come unto me, I am meek and lowly in heart, Matthew 11, and you shall find rest for your souls. You know the word meek? If you read carefully about what it is in, in, in Greek, in English we use this to mean someone who's passive and silent and weak. But in Greek, this was a characteristic of someone who was powerful and yet controlled. Someone who could kill you, who could crush you, but doesn't because they're under control. Now this is what biblical masculinity is. It is power, it is strength, it's intelligence, all under the control of God, all under control. So that the man, and I tried to teach my boys this, my sons, I think it had some effect on them, and the other young men I run into. Yes, you have testosterone. It's a blessing from God. Feminism says testosterone is a curse on the world. Wrong. Completely wrong because God gave it to men, and He wants men to use that testosterone, their strength, to do good with, not to do evil. The temptation is to take that power and that strength and use it to do evil, to get your own way and violence and harm. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But Bible masculinity is like this lion. Is he safe? Maybe not, because he can be dangerous because he has power, but he's tame. And he loves, he's not tame, but he loves you. And so I want young men, and we're going to come back to this perhaps. I want you young men here to understand that. 
You use the power, the strength that God gave you, whether it's physical, intellectual, emotional, whatever it may be, you use that strength to help, protect, and nourish your family and your wife. That's what you, and the rest of society by extension, you use it for that. I, I was at this um, seminar yesterday, looked around. There, there was a whole room full of good men there, and I thought to myself, boy, I hope nobody sets a bomb off in here because it's going to get rid of a lot of good men. There were a lot of good men there, some old, some young. Two of the men that I saw there, this is personal, I'll just say this, two of the men that I saw there were my two brothers, Dan and Dave. One is a preacher in Fort Myers, an elder over there. My brother Dan is an elder and a contractor in West Palm Beach. There weren't, there weren't any other men better than those two men at that at that, I know them, but I know some of the other men too. There, there were no better men there than those two. My wife will attest to this. Are they weak? Not in the least. Are they good men? Yes. Will they do what it takes to protect those around them, even though ones are not related to? Yes, they will, and they've done so. Will they take their energy, their strength, their power, and even earn money to help other people? They do it all the time. These are real men. And the world needs more of those kind of men. And you know those men, I know them. You know, you know the game that they, you know what, you know the games we played growing up? We only played one game. They had several variations. It was called war. We, everything we saw was a gun or a weapon or a bow and arrow or something. We, we took to cook up rocks and had weapons. We played war all the time. Sometimes we were the Indians and sometimes we were the Cowboys. Sometimes we were the Americans. Sometimes we were the Germans. And I know I'm dating myself, but we played these games all the time when we weren't building go-karts or stuff. And then we tried to, you know, have a competition with those. But what my parents had taught me and my brothers, you use this power that you have this desire. When young boys play with swords and guns, there's not a thing wrong with that. That's what they need to do. It develops a manliness in them that lets them know they have strength. You just teach them to use the sword against the wrong people, against the right people, and not against the wrong people. You choose, you show them to teach, to use their weapons against wrong and for right. That's what my mother and father did. And I'm very grateful for that because I would never have figured that on my own. But this is what the gospel is about. And that's why Paul can say to the Corinthians, act like men. I woke up one morning, you've heard me tell you this before, but I woke up one morning, you know how you're kind of half asleep, wake up. I woke up one morning uh, some years back. I only had 11 granddaughters then. I think I have 14, 14 granddaughters now. I have 14 granddaughters and six grandsons. I had 11 then. I woke up one morning, sat up straight in bed. And I thought, to my, I think I mean said out loud, who... Where will we find 11 good men? I think I said, where will we find 11 good men for these girls? It was troubling to me. Very. Tr I preached a sermon about it. This was many years ago. Troubling. Where in the world can I find men for these young girls? It's a hard prospect, isn't it? Because so many young men today are weak. They've been feminized. They've been told that they're worthless, that they're dangerous. They don't have a purpose. They don't see what they can do in the world. And they're lost. Young men are just lost. Now, I'm not saying young women are any, doing any better, but I'm not talking about women today. So just get used to that. 
That's a terrible thought I had. And I thought about this verse. Here's what this verse says. The King, the King James Version here, which many of you use, says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, or quit ye like men, be strong. What in the world does it mean to quit you like men? Well, it's old English way of saying, acquit yourself as a man. Quit you like men doesn't mean stop being a man. It means act like a man. And that's what the newer translations say, like the New King James. Well, the New King James is different than our version of the English Standard Version, which says, act like a man. The New King James says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Now, they took the word for men here, the shoes in this this verse, in Greek, which we'll look at in just a moment, and said, be brave. Why is that? Can't women be brave? Well, of course they can. Does their bravery look the same as men's bravery? No. Is it a fundamental female characteristic that stands out? Bravery? Not usually. But it needs to be a fundamental characteristic of men. Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment. I don't want to say too much about it. But here's the word. Andrizomai. See the A-N-D-R part at the front of that word? That's the Greek word for man. Not female, not person, not generic, Male, man. That's why they have a testosterone cream called Androgel. That's one of the reasons. You see this, it's called, and you rub it on when you have low testosterone or something. And there's other uses of that word. It is, well, what do you call, um, uh, there's other words, but it means the word man. And they just took it, the Greeks did, and made it into an adjective or a verb. And it means to make a man of somebody. So you're supposed to take a young man, a boy, and turn him into a man if you have sons. You help him become a man, not a girl or somebody in between or something else, or stay a child. What we have today, we either turn the young men and keep them children, or we turn them into something besides a man. No, you make a man of this young man. You teach him to act manly. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot. Oh, my goodness, that's dangerous talk. I probably will get shut off of YouTube here in a minute to say a person should act manly. Well, what's that like? What does that mean? Well, the Greeks thought, first of all, it meant being brave. To make someone brave or to show oneself to be a man. So sometimes you're living, you're a man, that's fine, but you don't have a chance to show yourself to be a man. Uh, we call it, what do we call it when a man, young man, acts real manly, you know, kind of puts on something. We call it bravado. There's that word, see. Why do we call it bravado when someone acts real strong and manly? Well, because it's manly. And he's exaggerating it, perhaps. and Maybe faking it, as it were. But if you're a man, a real man, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to, nobody's going to question if you're a man because it's obvious you're a man. And some people won't like you for that, but that's too bad. Now what the scripture, I'm going to go through these words here with you, just for brief, just brief. It won't take too long. Talk a long time about this, but I'm not going to even go uh, some places we could go. But the first thing he says for men, if you want to act like a man, be watchful. Men uh, have a role in the so- in society and in the family of being vigilant or watchful. It was my responsibility when I was raising my children, even now, although I'm a grandfather, I have ki- grandkids living with me, it was my responsibility with my family, and I tried to do this from early age, failed, that tried to watch out for things that were dangerous or, or uh, 
harmful to my family. Judy did this, but this was my job to do this. My job was to see, what are they watching? What's coming into my house? Is there a danger to my family physically or emotionally or spiritually? Is there some danger out there? I had to have my eyes open. I couldn't be focused on some video game all day long or some other trivial thing about life or my hobbies or whatever. I had to be vigilant in watching out for my children and my wife. If we had lived in a wilderness or somewhere else in a more remote place, it would have been my job as the man to guard that family and protect them. And I'd go to many other scriptures to show you this, but this is your response. Young men, you need to grow up to understand that your job in relation to your wife and children is to be watchful for their welfare and safety. I don't care what anybody else tells you about that or what you read or what your school counselor tells you or anybody else. It's your job as a man to protect and guard your family and be watchful about that. The scriptures tell you this. And you have it built into you. See, God made you that way. There was a reason why my brother, my parents didn't encourage us to play with play war games. And our, our football, we called it smear. Because if you had the ball, all the rest of the people jumped on you and beat you up, so you gave the ball up. And the idea was to get across a certain goal line, but the idea was, how much of a man are you? Can you hold on to the ball while everybody's beating on you and jumping on you? And can you go down? And so we played smear. That was our version of football most of the time. My brothers and I aren't athletes. We're not big hulking people. Did my parents encourage us that way? No, it's because we were boys in the 50s and 60s who were acting like boys in the 50s and 60s did. They were men. They were growing up to be men. And we wrestled, we fought. Any other older men know what I'm talking about here? We wrestled, we fought with each other, we played hard, we, we had rivalries with the neighborhood kids and threw rocks at them and they threw rocks at us, you know. And it's just part of growing up. None of this was ill-intentioned. This was just how boys played. Getting cut, bruised up, all the things. Knocked on. My wife tells me she's never had the wind knocked out of her. I'm like, what kind of human being? Never had the wind knocked out of you? I tried to explain this and she's like, oh no, not me. Oh my goodness. There's no worse feeling in the world than having the wind knocked out of you. And then everybody talking, are you okay? Are you okay? You just want to kill them all. You can't breathe, but you just want to kill them all, you know? But we, I had, you say, well, this is obvious. I had, sure, I had several concussions when I was a child, playing, knocked unconscious. One time the neighborhood kid had to carry me home because I was been knocked unconscious for too long. We just laid on the couch and we felt better. Today, that's a national emergency and hospitalization and specialists and treatment. Okay, maybe sometimes it's necessary. But oftentimes it isn't. It's just part of growing up. And it teaches you, yes, you can endure hardship as a man. You can endure pain. You can endure setbacks. And you can keep doing what you do. It makes you better. makes you strong. It's part of being a man. And these mothers, and this is part of the problem. Most young boys today are raised by mothers. You know what mothers do? They do women things. That's fine. I'm not criticizing them for being mothers. But I'm saying that that's not enough. That's not enough to raise men. If you have boys, you need the influence of a male who looks at things differently, and that's what's missing from two or three generations all across every socioeconomic socioeconomic category in our country. That's what's missing. 
and the men have been driven into the corners where they're afraid to say anything, and then, then and they're angry because of the way they've been treated. So yeah, what you see is hostility. That's kind of a male trait. It looks different than female hostility, but oh, that's what you see. What did you get? And but their job is to be watchful. Your job as a man is to watch and take care of things because later a lot of these men sometimes, like my brothers, are going to be elders in a church someday, perhaps potentially. <laughs> And that's the main job they have is to watch for people, watch for things. And if they don't have this ability, turn from playing in, playing in the mud and playing war into being able to defend the teaching of Christ and the, and the members of the church who are in danger, they, they won't, they won't get that anywhere else. Then he says, stand firm. There it is, stand firm. Today, when you stand firm, there's all kind of adjectives they'll throw at you call you all kind of names and radical this and all the other names when you say, no, this is true, this is right, this is good, and I'm not budging off of that. You take that position. No, no, today, you're supposed to be, as a man, be malleable and whatever comes along, you just change your mind about that. The new fads come along. You change, you're a metrosexual, they call them today. You know, where whatever fad comes along, whatever New York designer who is gay usually decides what the fashion is for men this year, you buy all that and you wear that and you dress that way and you, you go act like that and listen to all that music because you, you don't believe in standing firm on what you know is right and good and who you really are. You follow the path of all the other people pushing you along. And yet by nature, and I'm, I can say this because I think it's been shown in many, many studies that have been done. Ladies, most of the men here, they got one or two favorite pairs of pants that they would wear every day if they could. They eat the same thing all the time, same few things of food that they like. They got one shirt that they like to wear, or two maybe. Am I wrong about this? Most of you, that's true. Okay? Because you're a man. You are meant to be firm. You are meant to be immovable. You are meant to be hard to budge off of what you are because you're a man. Now, that can have a bad side when men don't listen and they don't learn, they don't grow because God gives you a wife to teach you and help you along the way. So I'm thankful for my wife because she helps me budge off of what my nature is and open up to things that are really good. But she needs me to be firm and not moved by everything that comes along in the world because she needs a man. To help her. I need her to help me. We're not even talking about that side of it. But God wants men to be firm, to be to stand firm, and then and in religion or in spiritual things, it means he knows what's right for himself and his family. He doesn't he isn't pushed around by the latest thing on TV, the latest show, the latest morality of some movie stars or rock stars. He isn't moved by all that. He knows what's right, and he's going to keep doing that. He's going to insist that it be done with his children and with himself and his own family. And I thought, my father was like this. I don't think I saw it then, but I see it now. My father set the, set the walls and the parameters in my family without saying too much. My mother had a lot of free, had the freedom in, in, in the household because she ran the household. She, she, you know, things did this and that, but there were, there were walls that were there. There were boundaries set by my father and his stability and his firmness that couldn't be crossed. And yet he was a very gentle, kind, loving person who could really wield a belt when you did wrong. But anyway, that's another story. No, he had he had limits. And when my brothers and I crossed the limits like 
you know, setting a field on fire near the neighbor's house and all that. You know, we, we crossed the limits. Uh, we found out that that was a limit. Hard, hard limit, hard lesson. And I love him for that. I'm so grateful that he showed me where the limits of behavior were and what, how, how a man was supposed to act. So stand firm. And here he says, stand firm in the faith. Know what's right about God. You men, you young men, learning and reading the Bible isn't just for women, it's for men to learn and read and know and study and think and meditate upon these things. And have your faith that's right and good and hold on to it. Don't give it up for anything and don't change it just because society goes against you. And then act like men. This is the underlying thing. In other words, be brave. I, I've never been in combat. Some of you here have, and I admire you for that. I joke about a lot of things like that. I've never been a cop. Look, I, I was a crippled, skinny little kid in, in the Vietnam era. And I always said that, that if it had come down to drafting me, they would have just surrendered. That would have been the end of the war. Because if we only got left, Mike, let's just surrender. Because he, he can't fight a war. He was a crippled, little skinny kid, 110 pounds, whatever. Let's just let it go. So I'm not one to tell people what they should do about combat and stuff like that. Trust me, I know but I do know this from talking to plenty of people and from living life. Bravery is not about not being afraid. Oh, I'm, you shouldn't be afraid of this. Oh, yeah, you should. Brave men, one thing that they have, well, is fear. The ones who are brave act in spite of the fear. They're just afraid of everybody else. But they're able to act and do what they ought to do in spite of being afraid. Am I wrong about this? I don't think I'm wrong about this. That's true about bravery of any kind. You act and do what you need to do in spite of your fear. That's one thing, for example, in being a beekeeper that you have to get over pretty quick is your fear. Not that you're not afraid, you know, I'm not afraid and respect them, but you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do whether you're getting stung or not sometimes. You just gotta keep doing what you gotta do even though you are getting stung. Oh my, I just run away. Well, okay, now, now you gotta live with that. Now you got a bigger problem that you got to fix. Plus, you're unfair to everybody around you. So bravery doesn't consist of not being afraid. Young men need to learn that they can they can do things that are difficult even when they don't want to. In fact, that's when they should do them the most is when they don't want to. If you only do what you like to do, you can't call it obedience. Obedience, that's just agreeing with God. Or agreeing with your mother and father. If I only obey my father when I agree with him, that's just me agreeing with him when I like it. It's when I don't agree that I still obey and do what I'm supposed to do. That's what obedience is. And bravery is the same way. It's about doing what you have to do that's right and good at the moment in spite of being afraid. That's why it's good for young men to be put to the test and be afraid. You know, I have to tell you, Nick, somebody someday needs to get in there when there's a toilet all clogged up and give you the brush and the plunger and say clean that up <sighs> I'm just teasing that's picking on Nick because he's that right age but you know what I don't want to do that that's horrible I'm afraid yeah I know somebody needs to when there's a risky job hot something hot something dangerous you need to be the one that overcomes that natural fear and goes ahead and does that job 
Somebody's got to clean the toilets in your house. Somebody's got to fix. So I, I, I get to be the one that takes the lid off the septic tank and scoops all the poop away from the opening. I get to be the one to do that. You think I'm going to send my wife out there to do that? Could she do? Could Judy take the lid off the septic tank and scoop all the waste away from the opening and push it all down so it'll all drain? Of course she could. Perfectly capable of that. Do you think I, as a man, want to let her do that? Not me. Why should I? Why shouldn't I be the one, as a man, who does the hard stuff, the unpleasant stuff, the painful stuff? Why shouldn't I be the one who does that? I'm a man. God expects me to be brave. He expects me to face things that I don't like to face, that are hard. And be willing to do that, in spite of being hard. And so, you know, those kind of jobs, my wife is capable of that. She might even do a better job than me. But I do that because I don't want her to do that. I don't want my children to do things that, that, that they shouldn't be doing as children. So act like a man. Now this, this is, uh, where, this is so sexist. This is so, uh, ridiculously anti-feminist. Not feminine, but feminist that it's impossible to even talk about it. In fact, he's telling women here, act like men. What does that mean? Well, it means women need to go against some of their feminine characteristics from time to time and, and learn to be brave as a woman is brave. Women are brave too. They're just brave in a female way. My mother faced many difficulties in life. So did my grandmother even more. In raising five children in the depression and the poverty that they experienced and the setbacks. My grandparents were burned out of their home three different times and, and left with nothing. No ins- insurance? You're kidding? No. You don't have insurance in rural Kentucky in early 1900s. You're just burned out. One time they were, they took all them, they canned all their crops so they had food for the winter, canned all that, took some excess and some other things, and took, my mother wasn't born yet, but they, they took all that to town with them to sell it. They had to take a wagon and spend a day or two in town because it was far away. And when they, uh, and when they came back, all that was left of their house was just a smoldering pile. The neighbors told them they pulled up in their wagon. They have nothing. The neighbors said, yeah, we heard it burning. We couldn't get to it because all we heard was all this popping and exploding. All the canned goods that they had saved had all overheated and exploded. They said, we did drag this trunk out. They reached in the front door and dragged a black trunk out into the yard away from the fire, thinking that maybe it had you know, clothes, something valuable. It had a puppy in it that my grandfather put there so it would be safe for a day or two. They had a puppy left. Now my grandfather had to be brave. And boy, he had to work. And But my grandmother did too, didn't she? Maybe even more so. So I'm not knocking female bravery. But I'm saying what's missing is the females can't teach young men altogether about being brave as well as a father can. Or a man can. He needs to do his part of this. And what's being that's what's being put away. So you need to act like a man. And, and this is... Uh, there's, there's male characteristics that are prominent in males, and there's female characteristics that are prominent in females. Now, when you, when you do a, a chart, psychologically, of human traits, you find that there's kind of a bell curve. And in the middle, most humans are pretty similar, male and female. They're pretty similar. You can take some of these traits, and on the edges, males are much more like this, and females are much more like this. You see extremes, you see differences. Ironically enough, one of the biggest differences between males and females is agreeableness. Females are much more agreeable, willing to please other people. 
I've met some girls this doesn't apply to, but but uh, <laughs> but gen- but generally men are much more disagreeable about things in the sense that they don't always want to go along with what other people tell them to do, and they're always they're object to things. That's true. That's true, and I think that's part of what he's getting at here. You need to be the kind of man that doesn't just go along with everybody else just to get along with them. Have principles of your own. Be brave. All right, we're gonna we could beat this to death. And then he says, be strong. Well, aren't women strong? Of course they are. You just heard me talk about that. But this is a different kind of strength that's needed, for, I think, for men and to act like a man. And so, then he last says, let all that you do be done in love. The, the God that we serve, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, the one thing about this God that stands out, that God, our true God, what stands out about Him as opposed to all of the pagan gods that have ever been, is this word love. The pagan gods were fierce, they were vengeful, oh, they were romantic, they had all these gods, but the one thing they weren't is a god of love. Nature was hard and harsh, they saw that, they had gods about that, that's why they're willing to offer up child sacrifices and human sacrifices to appease these vicious, murderous gods. Jehovah comes along, And he's the God of love. He sends his own son. This turned the world completely upside down. This destroyed the Roman Empire when it fully take hold in men's hearts. This destroyed the Greek world. And now we're going back to that world of worshiping all of these gods and all their their false ideas. Jehovah defines love in the scriptures as acting in the best interests of other people. Thinking and acting in the best interest of someone else, not yourself first. That's what true love is. It is, it is a feeling, but it, it, the feeling that you get is because someone is acting in your best interest and you perceive this. And so you get a warm feeling, a good feeling about that, usually. Sometimes we love people and they don't appreciate what we're doing because they don't view it as love. Because some people today view love as you do whatever I want, then you love me. And if you disagree with me, or you must hate me. Notice how that happens? Today, disagreement is called hate. What that means is, you're not doing and saying what I want you to say, so therefore you must hate me. In the Bible, sometimes that's necessary to love a child, to do what they don't want to do you to do to them, to do what they don't want, to see, teach them that. That's actually love, because that's the Bible definition of agape, of love. And so, whatever you do as a man, I'm applying this to men now, let everything that you do be done in love. So when you act as a father, whether it's perceived as positive or negative, whether it's perceived as, you know, uh, my father's being mean or whatever it is, or my father, whatever you do has to be done in the best interest of your wife and children and those around you, whether it's at work, wherever it is, or church, it's always done with someone else's best interest in mind. So yes, it's a sacrificial love. There's this thing, and I, I don't get time to talk, we've got to stop here. But servant leadership, it's called in the churches now. Servant. Now, what that means from some people's definition of it is, men are here just to do whatever else, what everybody else wants. Whatever women want, that's what men are supposed to do. Don't believe that. That's not what's good for women, for one thing. If I say I love women and all I do is do whatever they tell me, I don't love them very much. Because they're just like all the rest of us. They're sinners. They don't know. And they're self, they're, they're selfish and self-oriented, just like men are. So are you to say, my job as a man is to do whatever my wife says. 
No, that's not being firm. That's not being strong. That's not acting like a man. Should my main purpose in life be to please my wife and act and do what is good for her? Absolutely. 100%. But it's not the same as doing whatever she wants. So if, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, that's the rule that I, not only do I hear, but I see being lived out in homes all, all across the country, even especially Christian homes. If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You women ought to be ashamed to say that. You ought to be ashamed that that's your way you live. That if I'm not happy, everybody around me is going to be miserable. That's for Instagram. That's for Kardashians. Is that for Christian women? No. The same thing is true with men. If you're the kind of man that if you're unhappy, everybody around you is miserable, and they're all walking on eggshells because you're unhappy, you're the wrong kind of man. You all act like I'm saying something harsh here, am I? Okay, it may sound harsh. Think about it. Because that's the problem that we, this is where the culture just seeped into our pores and teaches us that that's the way we should be looking at the world. What, how it all affects me. So, do what you do in love. Whether it's to your husband, to your wife, to your children, everybody at work. Thinking of what their best interest is. That's a hard one. So, make men of your sons. God made men and women different from the beginning. He gave them different roles. Boys have a natural tendency that must be trained to do what God desires. You gotta think about that. And the feminization of our culture has been destructive to both men and women. And that's the problem. When men are not men, it doesn't just hurt the men. It hurts the women too. So men who insist that men be the right kind of men are not anti-female, as you may charge me with. They are pro-female because that's what's good for women also when they, when men act like men. Doesn't always work out that way every day. Doesn't look like that way, but that's the general thrust of things. So, yes, I need men somehow to find them. I found a couple already. A couple of my granddaughters are married. They married good men. I'm so thankful for that. I even got a little grandbaby that, you know, great-grandbaby, I should say, fathered by a good man who treats my granddaughter well. And he's a man. And I'm so thankful for that. But I need, we need men to marry love and take care of our granddaughters and our children. And so I want you young men now to be thinking about that and how you can stand up for what's right. Thank you for listening today. I do appreciate it. Boy, you know, for a short time there this morning, it looked like I would now be leading the invitation song. <laughs> but Travis stepped in and saved the day. We're going to sing as we close here, number, close the sermon, number 653. There's a fountain free. And I would urge you to think about your role. And if you need to make right what's wrong, if you need to repent of your sins and become a Christian today, we can help you with that. We can talk with you about it and we can help you to accomplish that. Be buried with Christ in baptism. If you need to repent and have the brethren here pray with you and help you overcome difficulties or problems, come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.